Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. We're discussing family spirituality and fiction and how these two things relate to each other and influence each other. Joining the conversation with me is Margaret B. Wright. Well, thank you, Margaret B. Wright, for joining me today on Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. Charity, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited about this. Margaret, a mutual friend of ours put us in touch and because you have, have such a longstanding interest in children's literature and you are an educator and a mother. And I really wanted to talk to you about books and how literature can shape life within your home. Can you tell us a little bit about when your love for children's literature began? Yes. So really, I think it began, well, when I was in high school, I loved, loved reading. And then when I went uh, to Texas A&M University, I decided to major in education. I really felt like a calling to to be uh, in education. So as I started off my profession, my world opened up to children's literature, things, books I had never read before. And I just had such a passion. And I saw how using those books in the classroom when I taught first and second grade, how using those books opened up a world to these children that they never knew before, or they learned ideas and virtues that they had never heard before. And it just really, I was just on fire for children's literature because I I saw, and and then I also realized the importance of having that library, having that good library of rich children's literature, how important that was. So that was the first time when it went, you know, in college and then when I was teaching. And then when my husband and I were blessed to have our own children and really felt like we were supposed to homeschool, very important to have the, even before homeschooling, just when you have little children in your home, just have Having, uh, again, that library of books, I, I saw how it, it impacted my own children. And then it's so interesting because my children are older now. <laughs> uh, so, but now I have a job at, uh, it's called Mary Shelter and I'm the parent child coordinator. And it's a series of homes uh, that we take in uh, homeless pregnant women and some of them have small children. And I am now teaching these uh, young moms how to read to their babies and read to their small children. And I'm bringing in these books that I've had in my home. I'm bringing them in now to these women's homes and helping them. And that has been such a gift to me to share that oh love my with goodness. them. That is amazing. I mean, that's so <laughs> life-giving. That's so life-giving. And I think your children are older now, right? One's in college and one's out of college. And so you yes, get to yes. revisit all these delicious books in this beautiful, generous sharing way with these new moms and little kids again. Yes, our children are um, our oldest. Um, her name is uh, Sister Gloria Christie. She's a Nashville Dominican, and she is she'll be twenty three in April. And then our son is at George Mason University. He's a freshman in college. So, but I still have children's books all over my, my house. <laughs> I just I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful, Margaret. It sounds like you did a lot of teaching through literature. Is that the case? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) 
So there is so much you can teach through a story. So like for as a teacher and as a mom, for example, this one book quick as a cricket by Audrey Wood and illustrated by her husband, Don Wood. I was able to teach similes in a fun way. I was able to teach opposites. This Mm. is a great book for kinder and first grade and even four-year-olds. So teaching what's the opposite of quick. It's slow. And, you know, I'm as quick as a cricket. I'm as slow as a snail. Also, I was able to teach concepts like okay, put it all together. Like this book, when he says, put it all together and you've got me. And I was able to capture that moment and say, isn't that so cool? Look at you. Look at all these things that are great about you. And you can do these things and you can be like a lion and you can be brave and, you know, that kind of thing, or you can be gentle, like a little poodle or whatever, you know, and, and also incorporating feelings, teaching feelings, you know, what does that feeling look like and giving a picture to that feeling, you know, especially for, for those visual learners. And really did you young- ever have a one of your children say to you, name a feeling by referring to the book? Like I'm as sad as a basset hound. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I I taught, when I student taught kindergarten, I did have that happen. (laughs) I did. That was a long time ago. Not so much my my children in this specific book, but children that I, a little boy that I taught. And he, oh, it's, I'm as brave as a tiger. So I think it may, I think this was the one it was, but I'm, you know, cause then we would like, I would, when I taught my five-year-olds this, I would put a lot of motion into it. So like, and also my, you know, voice, I would change my voice. So I would say like, I'm as brave as a tiger and put my arms up, you know, and they would so get into it and they would be going brave as a tiger, you know, that kind of thing. So, or um, like the clam, that's another thing. Like when you're reading these books, I'm as quiet as a clam whispering it and putting my finger, you know, up to my mouth and just really getting into the book. (laughs) That is marvelous. That is marvelous. The combination of all that energy and imagery that helps integrate their ability to name what's going on inside of them, as well as like all these practical things. Opposites. um, Yeah. The similes. um, Similes. Feelings. Like teaching feelings feelings and, you know, putting a picture to that feeling. Super important. Yes. I just wanted to think with you about the, the question of how has children's literature, because you're at a different point than some of our listeners who have children who are still under high school age and some, you know, are still have toddlers running around. You're at a different point. And so you can look back and tell us how did quality children's literature shape your family's identity as your children were growing? Yes. Well, it very, very, very much did. Um, So as parents, we get to choose the books that we want in our home, right? And so we get to think about what are are, what are themes? What are virtues? What are ideas and thoughts that we want our children to learn, to grasp? Right. Because mothering and fathering, well, in this case, mothering is not simply just about the body. It's also about the heart and the mind and the spirit. It's about nourishing all those other dimensions. 
children's literature is the best way to do this, right? A story is so powerful, so powerful. It has, to me, it has more of an impact than if I just say the facts of things. But if I can tell a good story or if I can get, you know, a good story from a wonderful author and that becomes part of a child in just no other way. I mean, it really instills these ideas in such a beautiful way in our kids. So for example... For me, uh, when I was a little girl, very little, I loved The Tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter. And my mom has told me she used to read to me all the time. And she said that I would constantly say, not to go. Peter Rabbit's mom said not to go (laughs) to Mr. McGregor's garden. And but what did Peter do? He disobeyed his mom. He went into the garden while his siblings did not do that. They did what they were supposed to be doing. There were natural consequences, right, of him disobeying his mother. He puts himself in a really dangerous situation. What was the other consequence? He didn't get to go and have fun with his siblings. He was, you know, in bed sick. Uh, So that really made such an impression on me, you know, and that whole theme of obedience and and natural consequences, you know, actions have natural consequences. So then that was something that I just honed in on when I was little. And then I took that story and then I read it to my own children and it was something that they enjoyed. I also think the way you present a book to children is really important. So say like, more about you that. You can be really excited about a book, or maybe the book has like this really cool setting or this exotic setting, or 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 maybe the characters are just, you know, so virtuous or whatever it is. And you have that excitement as a mother, and you impart that in your children, that that's gonna, they're gonna be like, oh, wow, yeah, this is great, you know? So so I would say, like, especially when you're wanting to impart, uh, you know, as, and instill a value or an idea in your children, be excited about it. You know, really put your whole heart into that because what I have found in being a teacher and being a mother, that is that if you do that, then they're gonna, your children are gonna be that way or they're more likely that way. But if you're approaching it, like if I'm approaching it, like, okay, we need to do, you know, <laughs> like, okay, this is another thing we have to do. Monotone and just checking things off a list. It's not the same. Exactly, Charity. Yes. There's a quote by someone named Luigi Giussani, who, who is an educator. And he says, the energy of the educator drives discovery. That if someone is full of wonder for a topic, then that's going to open up in the child a desire. That is Absolutely. Absolutely right. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. So there's this <laughs> wonderful book called Men of the Mississippi. And we found this turtle in our backyard, this huge turtle. And we took out Men of the Mississippi. And it was like, this is so exciting. Look, let's do some research. And then we were just getting into all the research. And you know what? We've done that with nature, nature, because oh, nature is such a great way of doing that. But now, even now, my children older, even older, they'll say, Mom, I saw this egret the other day and it was just standing there. It was so peaceful. It was so cool. You know, they get so excited about things they're seeing in nature around them. But I think that was because we instilled that in them. And then we used books to back that up, you know, that love of nature. Yeah. That wonder. (laughs) Continued to kind of hone their sensitivity for observation and and wonder. Yeah. Absolutely. We've been talking about how 
your sense of wonder and how reading together awakens in the child a sense of wonder. I think reading helps the child see that things that are out of reach are actually closer than they think. It makes something good seem possible, like makes something good desirable that that might not have occurred to them before. Like you were saying, they became able to sort of name different virtues that they'd never heard of before. I think it also helps children to think, hey, here's someone like me who's young, like me. I can do what they're doing or I can avoid what they just did. Right. (laughs) So it shapes their moral imagination and and also stirs their desire for the good. Yes. like. How does how have stories shaped your family's identity? How have stories shaped your family's spirituality? So I guess sort of want to affirm from the outset that I think that more is real than what we can see. We can't exactly see love or truth, right? But these things are real even though we can't see them. So how I would call that a kind of a sense of spirituality. How have books shaped your family's identity and spirituality, Margaret? Yes. So I think by choosing books that we want our children to to really learn from, to really grasp, to really get embedded in their brain. Uh, Because I think about like, you know, everything that we put in our brain has an impression. So whether that's Facebook, multimedia, television, Instagram, podcasts, whatever that is, um, that's shaping us. And and to me, a, a book even more so for me, but books as well, right? What we're reading, we're putting that into our brain. So like in our family, for example, one of our favorite author and illustrators is Tommy DePaula. He has written many books that have to do with our faith. And we, I'm sort of embarrassed to tell you this, but I think I have, um, I definitely have almost every book he's ever written. Some are really hard yeah. to come by. <laughs> You've had to work at that because some of those books are hard yeah, to come by. They are, <laughs> but I've hunted them down. <laughs> <laughs> That is just precious. You just, you find an author or illustrator you love and that speaks to you. I totally understand. Tommy DePaula's illustrations are so warm and friendly. I'd say he's really approachable. Yeah. So he writes a lot of his books written and, and he's absolutely gorgeous. I love his artwork are about our faith. So what I think is really cool is I can have his books out and they, like I can have one book on St. Patrick, another book on Francis of Assisi, another book on the Lady of Guadalupe. All of these books have to do with our faith and are people that we, that my kids hear about in church, you know, or that they celebrated their, you know, when they were in school, that kind of thing. That just instills in them what we're, I'm already teaching them what already is around them. Tommy DePaula's work, I think really is standalone good children's literature. But I, I see what you're saying about how in a context of faith, the books kind of take on new light. I remember, I'll never forget this. This is just so cool. We had gone uh, on Halloween, they had dressed up and we went just to the neighborhood and, and we came home and I was, I've never been just, just my personal thing. I've never been a big Halloween person, but they really wanted to get the candy. So we go home and we go in the living room and we're sorting out the candy. We always use it as some kind of little math lesson. So we're sorting the candy and we're comparing whatever. And Claire, our oldest, she 
set, I had a book about, I have my books in baskets and several baskets in my living room and the Holy Twins about St. Benedict from Scholastica was sitting there in the basket on the top and we're sitting there and she just pulls it out and she goes, oh, I love this book. Can we just read this book together right now? And I'm like, yes, we can read this book together right now. So I, I mean, we, all four of us, my husband, our kids, we just, we we're just sprawled out on the ground in the middle of our living room and all the candy around us and reading this beautiful book, you know, she was more and keen was, on the book than the Halloween candy. That's a victory. It, yeah. it was just one of those like, precious moments. Now they're not always like that, but just that moment, you know? Yeah. It must've been a moment where you thought there is something good happening in this house that my child prefers beauty to candy. Pleasures of the world are at her feet and yet she does not prefer them. Tommy DePala, his storytelling and his art, there's just nothing like him, you know? So I, I, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But tell me more. Other stories have been important in your family. You mentioned Tommy DePala, just kind of carte blanche, just a lot of his work. What else has been important to shaping your family? What do you, what stories do your children remember? Do you know, have they told you kind of what they draw on and Yes. Do you have yes. kind of your so own a- great books at home that, that you all love that everybody must read at, within your the walls of your home? Absolutely. That's that's a great question, Charity. So I have to start with a, a family favorite, and it is called Thunder Cake by Patricia Polacco. Patricia Polacco, I, I think I have almost every one of her books as well, but she's one of my favorites. And Thunder Cake is about... A little girl and Patricia Placco is telling it from her point of view. She's a little girl and it's about her overcoming her fear of thunderstorms and her grandmother's huge role in that. So there, uh, her grandmother lives on a farm in Michigan and there's a thunderstorm coming and Patricia Placco, she's a little girl's hiding under her bed and her grandma says, come on, we've got to go get, we're going to make a thunder cake. The thunderstorm is coming and we got to go get all the ingredients. So uh, she she and her grandmother go throughout the farm and they get all, they get the milk from old Kit Cow and they get the eggs from Nellie Peck Hen and they come get all the ingredients, including the secret ingredients of tomatoes, one tomato and three strawberries. And all the while, this thunderstorm is roaring in, you know, it's coming closer and closer. And I love her language in this book. It's just so good. So it's like you hear the roar of the thunder and the crash boom and you know you just get into it you know and uh and when I read it with my kids we turn off all the lights and get a flashlight and read it with a flashlight and I would try to read it to them when when it actually was raining or thunderstorm outside they so got into this book and so we so it's so cool because then at the end they get all the ingredients they make the cake just in time and the thunderstorm is now on you know right on top of them their farm and they're inside eating it and that is when the little girl realizes oh, I'm not afraid of thunderstorms. And the grandmother helps her understand, look what all you did. You didn't stay under your bed. You got out and did what you needed to do to make this cake. And it's like this beautiful epiphany moment, you know, for the little girl. And so it's just, and then this is the thing that's so cool. At the end of the book, she has her recipe for the thunder cake at the end of this book. So that's what we would do. We would read the book and with the lights out, flashlight on, and then we would make our thunder cake. Oh, literary food. 
food is so awesome because I found when I would be eating with my kids and we were eating something related to a book that we read, we could talk. It gave us this time to talk. So at that point, we're eating our cake. I talked to my kids about, you know, overcoming fears. And that we all have fears, right? We all do. But look at the way the little girl overcame hers. And what does that tell us about how we can overcome our fears? I was going to say, it's so beautiful how the grandmother helps the granddaughter overcome her fears, right? And and often it's not just me overcoming my fear, me becoming brave, like all on my own, all on my lonesome. Often it's the presence of another who makes me brave. You're absolutely right. Thank you for saying that because last night when I was thinking about this book, I thought about that and I forgot to say it. And you're right. Yeah. And and that's another great lesson from this book. Thank you. So I have to tell you, this is so beautiful. Here, my daughter, she is a, a freshman, her first year at the University of Virginia. And she's texting me saying, mom, can you text me the recipe for thunder cake? I want to make it. <laughs> yes, I will text you the recipe for thunder cake. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> that is adorable. I, yeah. My kids have never forgotten that book. They, they really do love it. Was she homesick? Wanted- she was homesick for thunder cake for courage? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then I, you know, I'm sure, right? So she's thinking about that recipe and I'm sure the story comes flooding back to her in her memory, right? How fitting. So, you need a little you need a little extra courage as a freshman. You need that yes, thunder you cake. Do. <laughs> yes, you do. Another one of our favorites for our whole family is called All of a Kind Family by Sydney Taylor. These are actually a series of books, but this first one was probably our favorite. And part of it, uh, why we loved it so much is the setting. So it's set in the Lower East Side of Manhattan during the turn of the 20th century. And this is a family that they, they have to be very frugal. They have five girls in their family. We, we love New York City. We love visiting there. And uh, my kids are just fascinated with that, with that city and the different cultures. There are so many cultures. So this is a Jewish family that lives there. And this book is all about their, their adventures, the way they grow up, the, these girls. It's so beautiful because they're like normal kids, right? They are have to use their imaginations. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of things, but they use their imaginations to make up fun plays and stories and games. They work together and they appreciate what they do have, that they also, they have a wonderful mother, a very wise mother uh, who teaches them great lessons about accountability and responsibility. And like one of one of the girls at the very beginning of the book, she cannot find her library book. And her mother says, you're going to have to go and tell them, you know, that you can't find it. And she's like, but I don't have the money I've been, I've been saving, you know, for a toy. And now I, and she, her mother said that that's what you just have to, you have to do that. You know, it was your, your responsibility. So she goes and she talks to the librarian and her sisters go with her. It's so sweet. And so they come up with deal that basically she's going to just every month pay like a cent, you know, to the library until she pays off this book. And then she'll still be able to save money for what, she, you know, her toys she was getting. And it's so beautiful. And I love that. And, and also the mother also, she, she's such a good balance of mercy and justice. 
That's a definite mm-hmm. theme of, and love. I, I really appreciate that as a mother. Uh, but my kids just, they were also just normal little girls. And then there's a surprise ending. There's a surprise ending. The uh, mother is pregnant and they don't know what they're going to have. And so at the very end, they have a little boy. So now these five little girls have a little brother and it's just, it's just a beautiful story and it flows very nicely. So I highly encourage everyone to read that all of a kind family. Great, Margaret. Thanks for the recommendation. What's next? This is one of our all-time favorites as well. It's called Miss Rumpius by Barbara Cooney. Anything by Barbara Cooney is incredible. She's a a wonderful storyteller and also just a gorgeous illustrator. I remember as a little girl finding Miss Rumpius and reading it and just lingering over the pictures and it's staying with me. The beauty of it staying with me. We didn't own a copy of it. It was just a a like a brief encounter with this book, but it stuck with me. Thank you for saying that. I did want to address that as well when you said y'all didn't you didn't own it. And uh, this is kind of my passion. So I do own a lot of books, but you don't have to. So that's what the beauty is. Most of the books that I own you can find in your library. And I, I think that's really important, especially you know when you're on a budget and you know, so yes, so definitely we should all be using our library. And I did get a lot of books from the library as well uh, over time, over many, many years, <laughs> you know, I collected them. So Miss, yes. So this book is actually, um, she considers this book to be as close as you're going to get to an autobiography of her along with two of her other books. Oh, which is, I think that's really neat too. I didn't know that until I was doing a little bit of research on that. I I'm glad that. you told me. So, I didn't either. Yeah, yeah. She, at the beginning of this book, she's a little girl. She's with her grandfather. He lives by the sea and he's traveled a lot. And she said, she says, when I grow up, I want to, I want to live by the sea. I want to travel all over the world and have adventures. And he says, that's all well and fine, but you also need to remember to do something to make the world more beautiful. She grows up, she becomes a librarian and she does get to travel. And in the book, it shows you her traveling and having different adventures, you know, all over. And uh, then she's getting a little bit older and she hurts her back on one of her adventures. And she decides, I need to go live by the sea now. It's time. She gets this beautiful little cottage and she loved Maine. Uh, She lived in Maine for many years. And when she's painting, that's what it makes me think of is Maine. So anyway, she gets this house. She, uh, she actually was, was ill for a little bit. And then she started thinking she had time to reflect on her life. And she said, I haven't done anything yet to make the world more beautiful. What am I going to do to make the world more beautiful? So then winter goes by and it's spring and she's all better now. So she says, I know what I'm going to do to make the world more beautiful. So what she does, is she goes along the countryside and she just spreads lupine seeds everywhere, everywhere she goes and just walks and walks. They come up, they bloom and, she, and they're gorgeous. And so everyone in her town, her area is calling her the lupine lady. And they kind of think she's a little crazy, you know? So then at the end of the book, she's talking to uh, this, these children and they're like, oh, you've had all these adventures and you live by 
the sea. And she said, that's all well and fine. But remember, you have to do something to make the world more beautiful. And that's how the book ends. I love, love that because I took that in, in our faith tradition and told my children, okay, you know, you have many gifts that you've been given, many gifts. And, and we are so grateful and, and appreciative of what we've been given. So now what are you going to do with the gifts you have to make the world more beautiful? What can you do with that? And then that opens up conversation. And so I did that with my own children. I did that with children that I taught. And it, it really led to just some incredible conversations with, with my children and really giving me an insight to their soul and into their passions and into what they saw themselves doing. Margaret, perhaps the thing that you are doing to make the world a more beautiful place is to foster beauty in your children and in these children that you're reading these stories to now again. Thank Maybe you. they're your well, lupins, it, your flowers. <laughs> well, you're so kind, Charity. I, I am just so grateful for the opportunities I have to work with not only my own children, but also with other children. Um, and just now in my, this is a different season in, in my life, you know? And so now to be able to share with these other uh, beautiful uh, moms and babies and children at Mary's shelter, what I shared with my own kids, I'm very grateful. <laughs> um, do you have one more? Did you have a novel that you I, wanted to speak about? Yes, I do. Margaret. Thank you. Yes, I do. So The Bronze Bow by Elizabeth George Spear is uh, oh, it's a very, very powerful book. This is definitely a book for seventh, uh, eighth, ninth graders. And this book, uh, Elizabeth George Spear did win the Newbery Award a medal for this book in 1962. It's about the main character is a young, he's 18 years old. Daniel Barjamin, and he lives in first century Galilee, and his parents, the Romans, you know, are occupying Galilee at this time, and his parents, well, his dad is killed by the Romans, and then his mother dies of just a broken heart of what happened to his father. So at a young age, his parents are, 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 you know, are no longer with him. And he is full of anger and hatred, and he wants to avenge his parents' death. So he wants to drive the Romans out of Galilee, and he, he wants to kill them. You, so you find this young man full of full of this hatred, and but what happens is he has a friend, and he's making all the wrong decisions, and you know just living a very hard, difficult life with bad decisions. Uh, but he has a friend named Simon, and Simon says, "I want to introduce you to this man that's teaching all over Galilee, and his name is Jesus." So he goes to he listens to Jesus, and he's like. You know, we got it. We got to avenge the Romans. This is how we're going to fight the Romans. It's with spears and that kind of thing. Uh, it takes him a long time, but through a series of events, he has a conversion at, toward the end of the book and realizes by listening to Jesus, by seeing Jesus heal his sister, that this is the way I'm going to find peace and happiness through love and forgiving those who have done this. And so that's one of the main themes of this book is, is forgiveness and mercy and, and love. The Bronze Bow is, uh, it's, very, it's a very serious book and it, it has some violence in it. 
it also has, and this is the beauty of it, it's so redemptive. It has this beautiful redemptive ending that just gives you peace. It really does. It just, it's, it's beautiful. I highly recommend this book. I I hope that if you're, um, those of you who are listening, if your older children have not read this book yet, especially right now during this time of year, this is an excellent time to read this book. In fact, this is the time of year when both my children read this book uh, right before Easter. I, I would highly, highly recommend it. I can't, can't really recommend it enough. <laughs> that is so interesting. I've never read it. And yeah. it was a book that sat around in my home of origin, but I, I've never read it. I, I'm kind of on a Newberry kick lately. I'm, I'm starting a new initiative within Bright Wings, kind of reviewing books. And I'm doing a lot of Newberries right now because of another commitment that I made oh. to read Newberries. <laughs> um, I've never read it before, but it sounds like a very interesting way to explore the claims of Christianity, to kind of ex- to put your toe in the water with exploring um, the question of who is Jesus and what his claims are. Definitely. It does sound like a, an interesting thing to do during this lead up to Easter. I would completely agree with that. I also wanted to say, um, thank you for saying that just triggered something in my mind that I do uh, have some books on, I have a, it's called Margaret at Growing Saints, Margaret at Growing Saints.com. And it's my blog and I haven't written on it in a little while, but <laughs> there's still some uh, books and ideas on there that, uh, you know, if you want to look at that as well. And I also put on my Facebook page, I'll do I do this quite a bit. I'll just like put up a picture of a book and say how much we love this book and, you know, and how it's impacted our kids. So that's another way. So on my Facebook. Great. Margaret, thank you so much for talking with us about your love for children's literature and the beautiful way it's shaped your family life. How it's given life to your kids, giving them roots, giving them ideas and goodness to tap into over time. It's really a beautiful thing to explore how literature shapes a family's identity over time. So yes, absolutely. Thanks for sharing with us your love for books. Oh, Charity, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. I have been looking forward to this because I love children's literature so much. And I know how impactful it can be on, on people, on families, on children. So thank you for the great work you're doing here. I just think this is so awesome that you have done this. And um, yeah, kudos to you. Thank you, Charity. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you for listening and for considering how spirituality and reading are connected in our families. If you would like a book list of the works that Margaret B. Wright proposed, you can head over to our website, brightwingschildrensbooks.com. I'd be happy to connect with you also on Instagram. Amanda Knapp, who has blogged for Bright Wings in the past and has also been interviewed on Beautiful Books, is a reviewer for our Sunday Visitor and Tan Books and has an essay about how she uses literature within her home to enhance her children's spirituality. You can find that great piece of writing at our website. Thank you for listening. Peace be with you.